If you'll go with me to Isaiah. Last session, we looked at Isaiah, the sixth chapter, the first five or six verses. Today, I want to follow up on where we left off last Sunday. Isaiah is one of the five major prophets. Uh, there are 66 book, uh, chapters that he wrote. Uh, Isaiah never saw a single prophecy come to pass. He prophesied about Jesus' birth. He prophesied about the last days. He's the one under the anointing that said a virgin would conceive and bring forth a son. His name we called Emmanuel. He is the one that prophesied that by his stripes we are healed, past tense, already paid for, 39 stripes for 39 major diseases. Isaiah is the one that prophesied that. Isaiah was not popular. He was not liked. He was not well thought of. And his life ended when the government took his body, placed it on a table, and sawed him in two, in half, in half. So the price he paid for bringing the word that we have today, it cost him his life. I believe the guys are going to help me on the screen. Isaiah 6 and 1 in the year. Are you with me? Got your Bible? That King Uzziah died. I saw what? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw what? Also. also. Look at somebody say, also. It's easy sometimes to get your eyes off of God. It's easy sometimes with all the stress and everything that's taking place, it's easy to get your eyes off your purpose and your destiny and your legacy. And one of the great, what I consider to be one of the greatest prophets literally of all time that Isaiah went through a season where he got distracted and he got his eyes off the things of God. And it was a tragedy that brought him back to God. His uncle died. Isaiah was the nephew of the king, enjoyed all those favors, all those blessings, but his uncle died. And Isaiah realized that he had been focused on the wrong thing. So he began to focus on the things of God. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had, had six wings with twain. He covered his face with twain. He covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried out to another and said, Holy, 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 and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And we realized last week that worship and praise will open doors that have been closed. How many knows that God places a door before you? How many knows sometimes that door is not always open? How many knows we want the door open? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door of your destiny. I stand at the door of your ministry. I stand at the door of your life, and I knock. And if any man opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And I was just thinking about how cool would it be if Jesus said, I'm coming to your house for dinner. I wonder, what would you feed him? I would feed him what I eat. I would feed him shrimp. I would feed him roast. I would feed him a grilled steak stuffed burrito from Taco Bell. I would feed him the senior citizen meal at Fazoli's. I get spaghetti with one meatball and salad and dressing for $4.45. How many can eat that cheap? But I think that whatever I ate, that's what I would want him to eat. 
And aren't you glad that the Lord is going home with you today and he's going to sup with you and fellowship with you that we didn't just meet him here in this house, but we brought him with us. How many containers brought God with you today? How many containers brought the presence of God with you? How many said, I'm going home with the presence of God? I come in one way, I'm leaving another. God's going to make a difference in my life today. I want to share and, and go just a little bit deeper in Isaiah 6 and 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of, of the people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here I am, I will go. I want to look at the transition here that takes place that when Isaiah got his eyes off the king and Isaiah got his eyes on the Lord, he caught a glimpse of heaven and he caught a glimpse of the activity that is taking place there right now. The Bible tells us that there are hundreds of thousands of angels in the presence of God and they clothe him with their word. Your words are powerful. There's death and life in your words. And the angels of heaven choose to clothe God with praise and worship and glory. The train that, that, that accompanies God, that train is made up of words of praise. It's made up of words of worship. And when Isaiah got focused and got his eyes back on the Lord, the first thing that he did was he became a worshiper. He takes that from the pattern of the angels when the seraphims begin to declare Holy, 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 something happened. The area that they declared holy became holy. There's a song that says, as I walked in the door, I sensed his presence, and I knew this was the place where love abound. Help me with the next line. But this is the, this is the temple, Jehovah, died, Jehovah abides in, and we are standing on holy ground. Aren't you glad this morning that this is a holy place? This is holy ground. This is a place where we can meet God, where heaven can kiss the earth, and we get caught in the smack. How many would like just a big old wet, juicy kiss from God today, just letting you know that you're special? He cares about you. Look at somebody and say, bring it on. Bring it on. So Isaiah, the first thing that he does when he catches a glimpse of God, he begins to worship. And as he begins to see what's taking place in the activity and he sees the doors open by the voice of the angels, he realizes that there's power in praise and there's power in worship. And I want to declare that where I stand this morning is holy. This is holy ground. This is where God's going to move and operate. And I declare where Brother Keith is standing is holy. Where he's at, God's going to move and operate. And I make a decision today to choose from this point to where he's at. I choose to make that area holy. And Brother Keith, if you'll help me, holy, holy, place where I stand, where Brother Keith sits, that means this section here is holy. Does anybody feel better about that, that you're under that covering, you're under that glory cloud, you're under that wave of the Holy Spirit, that there's a corporate anointing that wants to touch your body, wants to touch your spirit, wants to touch your soul? Jules, you're in the back row. Are you going to help me, Jules? You ready? Holy, 
Holy. Holy. Shout at me. Holy. So where we're standing to where you're seated, this area is holy. This area is under a covering. This area is under the glory of God. This area is in line for a miracle, a blessing, a touch, favor. God has something for you today that's just for you. Don't let anybody else take it or borrow it. It's just for you. Look at somebody and say, it's mine, and I declare it in Jesus' name. Devin, are you ready to help me? Holy, holy, Jennifer. Alden, David, holy, where I stand, where they sit, this area is holy. This area is under a covering. This area is about to experience the favor and blessing of God. You know, not just going to church brings a blessing, but planning to go to church brings a blessing. May I share with you this morning what happened? I went to pick up Elio. Elio is working in Christine's room. He got fiberglass in his eye yesterday. He wouldn't leave it alone. He kept rubbing it and washing it and rubbing it. And I told him to leave it alone. Went to get him this morning. He was on the front steps, miserable. Stayed up all night crying. His eye was all puffed and all infected. And he walked up to the car and said, Pastor, said, I'm going to the hospital. I said, tell you what, let's go to church first. Then we'll go to the hospital. So he wasn't going to buy that. But Mario and his fiance began to tell Elio, come on, Elio, let's go to church. Well, they weren't hurting. They weren't suffering. They had nothing to lose. Hello, but we just had a feeling if we could get Elio here, God could touch him and he could be healed. So we're driving in the car on the way to church and Elio says, hey, my eye doesn't hurt anymore. We got to looking at it. There's that, that, that infection, that pus just, just kind of washed out and is gone. So just making a decision to go to the house of God brought a healing because someone put him in a car and got him here. That, that should motivate many of us that have a car to go find somebody that needs a miracle, that needs a healing. And we'll, we'll share in just a few minutes about how we can help one another. But I'm reminded of the four guys. I'm assuming there were four because the Bible says there were four. But there was a time when Jesus was ministering. The place was packed. There was no room. The, the, the doors were blocked. Anybody ever been to a concert where you couldn't get any cloaks or use clothes? Anybody been to a concert where it was sold out and you couldn't get in? That's what happened. Jesus was ministering. They couldn't get in. So these guys went up on the roof, tore the shingles off, and lowered this guy down on a rope, four rope, and, and Jesus touched him, and he was healed. Oh, that I had a friend that would go on top of a roof and would open up a hole and lower me down in the presence of God. Oh, that I had someone in my life that would just intercede for me and take me to the presence of God. Because if I can get to God, I can get healed. If I can get to God, I can get restored. If I can get to God, I can be fed and I can be blessed. Let someone say, amen, in this house today. You are with me this morning. You are awake today. So Isaiah gets his eyes on God. And the first thing that happens when he begins to get his eyes on God, he realizes that he is incomplete. And here's what he says. He said, I am unclean, and my mouth is unclean, and the people I hang with are unclean, and their mouth is unclean. And I just wanted to focus today and ask you, the people that you're hanging around with, the people that you're associated with, the people you're spending quality time with, what are they saying to you, or what are they speaking in your heart and spirit? What are they, what are, what are they, what are, what are they bringing in your life? I learned a long time ago, the owner, manager, and CEO of Warrior Instruments is a lifelong friend. We've been friends over 30 years. And I remember he came and spoke at this podium several years ago, and he made the statement. And he said, stop going where you're tolerated 
and start going where you're celebrated. Stop going where you're tolerated and start going where you're celebrated. And a lot of times we will attach ourselves to losers. Can I say that nicely and not offend anybody? Look to your left and look to your right. Say, stuck in the middle with you. Clowns on the left, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Look at somebody and say, you look better today than I've ever seen you look. Go ahead and prophesy over them, speaking to them. Look at somebody today and say, you're going to bless me today. You're going to encourage me today. You're going to impact my life. You're going to bless my life. You're going to turn the darkness into light. You're going to take the brokenness into healing. You're going to take my bondage, and you're going to set it free. You're going to build me up. You're going to edify me. You're going to equip me so I can be a better person, leave this building, and help somebody else. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise in this house. Who are you hanging with? I shared this a few weeks ago, and it seems so well to, to apply here. And I just want to go ahead and just paraphrase what I shared with you in detail. Several uh, weeks ago, we, we know that uh, from the cross, uh, Jesus mustered enough strength and energy to make seven statements. And uh, one of the statements that he made was to his mother. And uh, it was the, uh, the law, the code the standard of that day, that the elder son, when the dad died, got a double blessing, a double portion, because it was his responsibility to take care of mom. And we know that Jesus was the eldest son. It was his responsibility to take care of mom. So before Jesus dies, he looks at his mom, and he says, woman, behold your son. He points to John. John was the disciple that didn't flee, didn't run, didn't hide, stayed right there at the whipping post, stayed right there at the cross, stayed right there at the grave. He stayed the whole time. He was a sticker. Look at somebody and say, he was a sticker. Now, you can be a kisser or you can be a cleaver. Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but the Bible says that Ruth cleaved to Naomi, would not leave her side, would not abandon her, would not let her go. So you can make a decision today in your life. You can be a a kisser, or you can be a cleaver. John was a cleaver. John did not run. He did not, he probably was intimidated, probably was frightened, but he stayed right there with it. He didn't, he didn't back off. And, John, and Jesus looks at John and says, son, behold your mother. And when Jesus did that, he transferred the responsibility he had to take care of his mom to John. Ironically, all the disciples, with the exception of Judas, were murdered for their testimony were assassinated for their faith. Some were boiled in oil. Some were crucified upside down. Some were beheaded. But every disciple, with the exception of Judas and John, were murdered. Judas committed suicide. We know John was boiled in oil, survived, was placed on an island, survived, and lived to be until old age. Why? Because Jesus had given him the responsibility of taking care of his mom. Let that sink in just for a minute. You need to mark the Johns in your life. You need to mark that friend that's not afraid to say, I'm praying for you. You need to mark that person that's not afraid to say, hey, you need $100, I'll loan it to you. You need to mark that person in your life that says, hey, you're alone, I'll come over and hang with you. Hey, you're hungry, I'll run you and we'll grab a taco. You need to mark that person in your life that's speaking into your life. You need to mark that person in your life that is mentoring you and helping you. And you surround yourself with those kind of people. Three things you need today. Every Paul needs a Silas. Every minister needs a minister 
every, every person needs a person that you see eye to eye with them. You're growing together. You're correcting one another. You're confronting one another. You're building one another up. You've got that best friend mentality, that person in your life. Let's pray about it. Let's go pray for somebody. Let's go make something happen. It's that person that you, that you have fellowship with. Every Paul needs a Silas. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every person in this building needs someone in their life that has no hidden agenda, but they're attacked to the things of God, and you have confidence in their counsel, confidence in their wisdom, confidence in their instruction, and you submit yourself to their counsel. The Bible says there's safety in the multitude of counsel. So there should be that every Timothy that's growing and, and becoming what God wants them to be, you need a mentor. You need someone that can encourage you to pray more. Someone can encourage you what books to read. Someone can encourage you to go and do something for the, for the kingdom of God. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every Paul needs a Timothy. God raises us up to strengthen and to enrich the body of Christ. There should be someone in your life that you're imparting to. There should be someone in your life that you're interceding for. There should be someone in your life that you're building up, you're strengthening them, and you're blessing them. I got this real weird feeling yesterday that someone was praying for me. Weird feeling. Came to the church, saw a white car. I didn't recognize. I came in, and there were two women of God on the back row of this church praying for this church and praying for me. Everybody needs someone in their life that's not afraid to intercede, that's not afraid to pray. Every Timothy needs a Paul. Every Paul needs a Timothy. Every Paul needs a Silas. You need someone in your life that you're hanging around, that you're growing, that you're maturing, that you're getting better. Unfortunately, many of us, when things crash and burn, it's so important for us to be restored to our family. What will restore you to your family is time. You doing the right thing over and over again, you making the right decisions, you healthy and whole, that will heal your relationship with that family that's abandoned you. Or that will heal that relationship of that family that has written you off and said there's no hope for you. I remember 38 years ago, the statement was made that there was no hope for me, that I, I was going to die a drug addict. But I had a grandma that never stopped praying for me. And every morning, regardless of what, where I'd been that night or what I had done, when I walked to my closet about 7 o'clock in the morning to get something to wear, my room, my closet was filled with music. And all I could hear, I'll cherish the old rugged cross. I began to hear the hymns of the, of the red hymnal. And I was not serving God. I was shooting cocaine. I was away from God. I was running from God. But every morning when I got up to go to my closet, I was overwhelmed by the power of that red hymnal. Don't ever put the red hymnal down. I like the new music. I like the new praise and worship. But every once in a while, I just like to declare at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see, when I look upon his face, the one that saved me by his grace. Do I have a friend in the house this morning? Thank God for the word. Thank God for the spoken word and the sung word. Thank God that I, I have that in my life and I declare that in my life. So who is affecting you? Who is ministering to you? Who is speaking into you? Who is blessing you? Is that person building you up or is that person tearing you down? I have learned in my life, if I'm broken, I'm probably not gonna help somebody that's broken. It's like the blind leading the blind. Do I have a friend? But if I'm healthy, 
then I can help somebody that's broken. And it's so important in life that you learn how to be healthy. When Paul looked up and saw God, he looked in in discipleship and he said, I'm going to stop speaking the things I'm speaking. I'm going to stop hanging around people that are speaking negative and criticism and all that stuff. And if you're hanging around people that are, that are putting you down and bad-mouthing you and running you down and making fun of you, you need to separate yourself from those people and you need to put yourself in contact with the people of God, the body of Christ, the community of Christ, where two or three gathered together, there he is in the midst of them. Bailey, when I gave my heart to God, I made some phone calls. And I called some, I called some friends. And I said, listen, I said, I'm not better than you. And I'm not putting you down, but I need to get clean. And I'm not going to come over anymore. I'm not going to come to your house anymore. I don't come hang around you anymore. I'm not putting you down. I just know that these drugs are going to destroy me. They're going to overwhelm me. And I shut that door. And I look back 38 years later, and without exception, I never saw another one of those friends that did drugs except my cousins. We continue to fellowship. We continue to, and uh, I'm, I'm pleased to say, but with the exception of one, all my cousins now have come to know the Lord. They've turned their life around, and they know God. But be careful. When you, when you create a standard to remove every negative voice from your life, you don't need to stop at family. You need to go on with family. And if there's family in your life that are not encouraging you, they're not building you up, they're not blessing you, find a new family. Find a, new, find a, find a, find a church where people love you, they put popcorn in their ice cream. Hello. Real people that are real world with real problems growing in the right way. And that's what, that's, what, that's what Isaiah did. He said, I need to start speaking the right thing. I need to declaring the right thing. And when the angel took the coal off the altar, we shared with you several weeks ago, as you look at the tabernacle, I'm going to take about four minutes and talk about the tabernacle. When Moses brought the people of God out of Israel into Egypt, they created and built a temporary tabernacle. Later, they made it the temple of David, the temple of Solomon, the temple of Nehemiah, Hezekiah. They rebuilt that temple. It now is trash because of a prophecy that Jesus said not one stone would be left unturned in 70 A.D. Titus, operating under the Roman government, came to Jerusalem and leveled the temple, destroyed all the stones, actually ran a plow where it once stood. But it will be rebuilt, the Bible says, and they will redeclare that place to be holy unto God. But in this portable temple, it was a tent. It was in three compartments. There was the inner, the outer, and the holy. Before you went into, and there's only one door into it, and before you went into the, into the tabernacle, there was an altar. That's where things died. That's where you laid your life on the altar and you killed yourself. That's where you died to the flesh. That's where you died to the things of the world. That's where you said, I accept Christ as my Savior. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want him to mentor me, tutor me. I want, I want his word. I want his influence. I want to do what he wants me to do. And that's what happened at that altar. As you stepped into that area, that there was, there was no ceiling. There was the sun would direct the steps. As you stepped in that area, there was a table of showbread which represents the spoken word of God and the, alt and, the, uh, and the menorah, the seven candlesticks, which represents the light of God as we are salt and light. And then there was another altar. It was like a barbecue grill. It had hot coals 
and the apothecarius, say that fast three times, the apothecarius would take five ingredients mixed with oil, and he would, match, he would mix it into a potpourri, and then he would take that combination, and he would put it on the hot coals, and immediately when that potpourri soaked with oil hit those hot coals, there was this cloud, and it was a, a cloud of incense. And before the priest would go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies where God was, he would get his garments, and he would get saturated with that fragrance. And then when he stepped into the Holy of Holies, the first thing that God smelled was the fragrance. That represents our worship. I believe each one of you today have your own particular fragrance. And I think that when you begin to offer praise and worship, God identifies you not by who your mother was, not by who your uncle was, not by who your son and daughter, not by how much money you do or do not have, whatever color of your skin. He doesn't rate any of that, but what he does, he senses and he, he, he smells that, that worship and that praise. The Bible says that Noah created an altar to God, that the smoke went up and got the attention of God. Your praise and worship gets the attention of God. Your praise and worship gets the favor of God. Your praise and worship takes you from one place to another. It translates you. It transfigures you. It transforms you to the things that God wants you to be. And you stop being who you are and you start becoming someone else. And that, that comes to the next place that he came. God said, who should I send? Isaiah said, I'll go. So we go from worshiper to disciple to evangelist. God does not want us to contain his anointing, favor, and blessing in the four walls of this building. God wants to take that favor and blessing in you, and he wants you to go, and he wants you to begin to be what God has called you to be and do what God has called you to do and change the darkness into light, change the crooked places straight. God puts the authority of his word in your mouth, and when you begin to declare it, the Bible says he sent his word, and his word healed them. You are his word. When Joshua was getting ready to make a transition, Moses was dead, couldn't find his body. Joshua was the leader. Joshua was struggling. The Bible says an angel appeared unto Joshua and said, Joshua 1 and 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate there and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. How many knows there's bad success? I know a man that was worth $137 million. He lost $60 million seven years ago. He is now struggling. But he has the finest wine, the finest house. His house is probably about an $8 million house. It's the finest wine. He drives the finest car, little Mercedes. But every night he has to medicate to go to bed because he's unhappy. I don't care too much for money. Money can't buy me love. Money is a tool. Money answereth all things. There's nothing evil about money. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. But money is a tool that God uses to meet our needs and, and do all that. And I understand all that. I understand all that. But things change when you become a part of the kingdom of God. There's a trust issue, and you begin to trust him. As you tithe and bring offering, God opens windows. God opens doors. God begins to move things out of your way and put you in places you could have never been there by yourself. Do I have a friend in the house? And God said, who will go for me? Isaiah said, I will go. Pastor Rhonda has, has 
known this ministry, I guess, for 34 years. And if you ask her, she will tell you the three things that I live by. I'm going to leave them with you. Are you ready? You might want to write them down. The first thing that I live by, Mario, all that I have belongs to God. Doesn't that sound sanctimonious? Doesn't that sound like mission? Like, doesn't that sound, isn't that humbling? All, say it with me. No, say it like this. All that I have belongs to God. Why, you poor, pitiful thing, you. Let me get my violin out. Say this with me. All God has belongs to me. That changes everything. The earth is the Lord's and the world and the fullness therein. Everything belongs to God, but God loans stuff to us to bless us. The song says, of things that I love and hold dear to my heart, they're just borrowed. They're not mine at all. Jesus only let me use them to brighten my day. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Roll back the curtain of memories now and then. Show me where you brought me from to where I am now. Remember, I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Do I have a friend in the house today that has a God that has taken them out of a tough spot, put them in a good spot, and now they're blessed going in, blessed going out, all the promises, 6,600 promises in the Bible that apply to you that God has for you. What an exchange. I give God everything. He gives me everything. And I walk better, talk better, dress better, look better, eat better, smell better, go better because of his touch in my life. The second thing that Pastor Ronald would tell you that I live by is this. I want to be all God wants me to be. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to settle for less. I don't want good when I can have great. When the appear, angel appeared to Gideon, he said, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said, I'm a loser. We're under attack. I'm protecting this little field of beans from the Philistines. I'll give my life for this little field of beans because this is all we've got to eat. But I'm not a mighty man of valor. But the power of God did not direct where Gideon was at. The power of God prophetically declared where Gideon was supposed to be. And as you look at the life of Gideon, you will learn that his dad worshipped some really weird gods. And before God used Gideon with 300 men to destroy an army of thousands, God told Gideon, go to your dad's house and destroy all of his idols. So Gideon said, the influence of my life is out of order. My, my family, their gods, and all of, their, all of the things that they pursue, I'm going to destroy that. And Susan, he leveled those. He burned them to the ground. And then God uses Gideon to take 300 men armed with torches, trumpets, and vases of all things, and they destroy an army of hundreds of thousands. Why? Because one people said, I'm going to be what God wants me to be, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And God, lastly, are you ready? God blesses me so that I can bless others. And that's what the kingdom is all about. It's all about sharing. It's all about taking the excess that we have and share with those that do not have.
And I promise you, as you begin to minister to widows, single moms, and orphans, kids without dads, God will bless you, God will touch you, and God will turn things around in your life. Do I have amen in the house this morning? And I'm going to conclude with that. He looked up in worship. He looked in in discipleship. And he looked out in evangelism. So wherever you're at this morning, if you're restoring that altar, if you're restoring that, that apothecary, that fragrance, I've learned a long time ago, I try not to whine a whole lot in the presence of God because he already knows what I'm going through and he knows where I'm at. So I, need, I don't need to spend two-thirds of my time telling him how bad things are and what a mess. Can anybody relate? I'd rather spend two-thirds of my time praising him for who he is and one-third of my time for asking him to equip me so I can do what he called me to do instead of spending all my time whining. Do I have a whiner? I mean, do I have a friend in the house today that can realize I'm going to turn that quality time around. I'm going to turn that praise and worship around. I'm going to let that apothecary touch my lips. Worship will bring purity and worship brings healing. Worship brings favor and worship brings blessing. Why? Because the one thing you were created to do, the one thing you were birthed to do is to be a praiser and a worshiper in the kingdom of God. As you step into your rightful place of ministry, you step your rightful place of obedience, God will bless your socks off. I don't have any sock, my sock got blessed. Socks got, how many of you do not have socks on? Lift your hand. You do not have socks on. See there, God's already blessed your socks off. Aren't you glad this morning that you're a part of the family of God? As every head is bowed, as every eyes closed, just for a moment. If you're here today and you've wandered away from God,